gentlelady from California. everyone. What starts here changes the world. Well, I've got to admit, I kind of like it. What starts here changes the world. We are the music makers, and we are the dreamers of dreams. The average American will meet 10,000 people in their lifetime. I was handcuffed to another man from another tribe whose language I did not speak. Don't think. But if every one of you changed the lives of just 10 people, and each one of those people changed the lives of another 10 people, and another 10... We did not know each other, and we could not speak to each other, because if we could have spoken to each other, we might have been able to figure out what was happening to us. To every politician who is taking donations from the NRA, shame on I believed them when they said they were sleeping on concrete floors. I believed them. Children were being separated from their parents in front of an American flag. I believe them. And you can change the entire population of the world, 8 billion people. And if you're going to figure out what was happening to us, you might have been able to prevent it. If you think it's hard to change the lives of 10 people, change their lives forever. Well, it didn't happen, and here we are. I believe these women. You're wrong. I feel extremely lucky to, to be here with all of you fighting for justice, for equality, for the right for us to equally exist in this country. There were 329 uprisings, 257 cities within four and a half years. And neither Martin nor Fannie had any control over that. We might be headed to the promised land of speaking the truth and finding our external liberty once we internally liberate ourselves. But their children were saved, and their children's children. Generations were saved by one decision, one person. But changing the world can happen anywhere, and anyone can do it. So what starts here can indeed change the world, but the question is, what will the world look like after you change it? Welcome to Public Access America. Make a stand. I know I did. Thank you very much. And may God bless us. And may God bless us. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Director Muller, as you know, we are focusing on five obstruction episodes today. I would like to ask you about the second of those five obstruction episodes. It is in the section of your report, beginning on page 113 of volume two, entitled, quote, the president orders McGahn to deny that the president tried to fire the special counsel, end quote. On January 25th, 2018, the New York Times reported that, quote, the president had ordered McGahn to have the Department of Justice fire you. Is that correct? Correct. And that story related to the events you already testified about here today. The president's calls to McCann to have you removed, correct? Correct. After the news broke, did the president go on TV and deny the story? Do not know. In fact, the president said, quote, fake news, folks, fake news, a typical New York Times fake story, end quote, correct? Correct. But your investigation actually found substantial evidence that McCann was ordered by the president to fire you, correct? Yes. Did the president's personal lawyer do something the following day in response to that news report? I'd refer you to uh, the coverage of this in the report. On page 114, uh, quote, on January 26, 2018, the president's personal counsel called McGahn's attorney and said that the president wanted McGahn to put out a statement denying that he had been asked to fire the special counsel, end quote. Did McCann do what the president asked? I refer you to the report. Communicating through his personal attorney, McCann refused because he said, quote, 
that the Times story was accurate in reporting that the President wanted the special counsel removed. Isn't that right? I, I believe it is, but I refer you again to the report. Okay, so Mr. McCann, through his personal attorney, told the President that he is, was not going to lie. Is that right? True. Did the President drop the issue? Uh, I refer to the write-up of this in the report. Okay, next, the President told the White House Staff Secretary, Rob Porter, to try to pressure McCann to make a false denial. Is that correct? That's correct. What did he actually direct Porter to do? And, and I send you back to the report. Okay, well, on page 113, it says, quote, the President then directed Porter to tell McCann to create a record to make it clear that the President never directed McCann to fire you, end quote. Is that correct? That is, as it state, stated in the report. And you found, quote, the President said he wanted McGahn to write a letter to the file for our records, correct? Correct. And to be clear, the President is asking his White House counsel, Don McCann, to create a record that McCann believed to be untrue while you were in the midst of investigating the President for obstruction of justice, correct? Uh, generally correct. And Mr. McCann was an important witness in that investigation, wasn't he? I'd have to say yes. Did the President tell Porter to threaten McCann if he didn't create the written denial? I refer you to the uh, write-up of it in the it, uh, report. In fact, didn't the President say, quote, and this is on page 116, if he doesn't write a letter, then maybe I'll have to get rid of him, end quote. Yes. Did Porter deliver that threat? I again refer you to uh, uh, the discussion that's found on uh, page 115. Okay, but the president still didn't give up, did he? So the president told McGahn directly to deny that the president told him to have you fired. Can you tell me exactly what happened? I can't beyond what's in the report. Well, on page 116, it says the president met him in the Oval Office. Quote, the president began the Oval Office meeting by telling McCann that the New York Times story didn't look good and McCann needed to correct it. Is that correct? Correct. So, as it's written in the report, yes. The president asked McCann whether he would do a correction and McCann said no. Correct? That's accurate. Well, Mr. Mueller, thank you for your investigation uncovering this very disturbing evidence. My friend, Mr. Richmond, will have additional questions on the subject. However, it is clear to me, if anyone else had ordered a witness to create a false record and cover up acts that are subject of a law enforcement investigation, that person would be facing criminal charges. I yield back my time. The gentlelady yields back. The gentleman from Ohio. Director, the FBI interviewed Joseph Mifsud on February 10th, 2017. In that interview, Mr. Mifsud lied. You point this out on page 193, volume one, Mifsud denied. Mifsud also falsely stated. In addition, Mifsud omitted. Three times he lied to the FBI, yet you didn't charge him with the crime. Excuse me, did you Why say not? one, I'm sorry, did you say 193? Volume one, 193. He lied three times, you pointed out in the report. Why didn't you charge him with the crime? I can't get into uh, internal deliberations with regard to who would or would not be uh, charged. a lot of other people for making false statements. Let's remember this. Let's remember this. In 2016, the FBI did something they probably haven't done before. 
They spied on two American citizens associated with a presidential campaign, George Papadopoulos and Carter Page. With Carter Page, they went to the FISA court. They used the now famous dossier as part of the reason they were able to get the warrant and spy on Carter Page for a better part of a year. With Mr. Papadopoulos, they didn't go to the court. They used human sources. All kinds of, from about the moment Papadopoulos joins the Trump campaign, you got all these people all around the world starting to swirl around him. Names like Halper, Downer, Nifsid, Thompson, meeting in Rome, London, all kinds of places. The FBI even sent, even sent a lady posing as somebody else, went by the name Azra Turk, even dispatched her to London to spy on Mr. Papadopoulos. In one of these meetings, Mr. Papadopoulos is talking to a foreign diplomat, and he tells the diplomat, Russians have dirt on Clinton. That diplomat then contacts the FBI, and the FBI opens an investigation based on that fact. You point this out on page one of the report. July 31st, 2016, they open the investigation based on that piece of information. Diplomat tells Papadopoulos, Russians have dirt, excuse me, Papadopoulos tells the diplomat, Russians have dirt on Clinton. Diplomat tells the FBI, what I'm wondering is, who told Papadopoulos? How'd he find out? I can't get into the evidentiary file. Yes, you can, because you filing. wrote about it. You gave us the answer. Page 192 of the report, you tell us who told him. Joseph Mifsud. Joseph Mifsud's a guy who told Papadopoulos. The mysterious professor who lives in Rome and London, works at teaching two different universities. This is the guy who told Papadopoulos. He's the guy who starts it all. And when the FBI interviews him, he lies three times, and yet you don't charge him with a crime. You charge Rick Gates for false statements. You charge Paul Manafort for false statements. You charge Michael Cohen with false statements. You charge Michael Flynn, a three-star general, with false statements. But the guy who puts the country through this whole saga starts it all for three years we've lived this now. He lies, and you guys don't charge him. And I'm curious as to why. Well, I we can't get into it, and, uh, and it's obvious, I think, that we can't get into charging decisions. When the FBI interviewed him in February, FBI interviews him in February, when the special counsel's office interviewed Mifsud, did he lie to you guys, too? Can't get into that. Did you interview Mifsud? Can't get into that. Is Mifsud Western intelligence can't or Russian intelligence? Can't get into that. A lot of things you can't get into. What's interesting, you can charge 13 Russians no one's ever heard of, no one's ever seen, no one's ever going to hear of them. No one's ever going to see them. You can charge them. You can charge all kinds of people who are around the president with false statements. But the guy who launches every, the guy who puts this whole story in motion, you can't charge him. I I'm think that's amazing. I'm not certain I, I, I'm not certain I uh, agree with your characterizations. Well, I'm reading from your report. Mifsud told Papadopoulos. Papadopoulos tells the diplomat. The diplomat tells the FBI. The FBI opens the investigation July 31st, 2016. And here we are three years later, July of 2019. The country's been put through this. And the central figure who launches it all lies to us. And you guys don't hunt him down and interview him again. And you don't charge him with a crime. Now, here's the good news. Here's the good news. The president was falsely accused of conspiracy. The FBI does a 10-month investigation, and James Comey, when we deposed him a year ago, told us at that point they had nothing. You do a 22-month investigation. At the end of that 22 months, you find no conspiracy. And what's the Democrats want to do? They want to keep investigating. They want to keep going. Maybe a better course of action, maybe a better course of action 
is to figure out how the false accusation started. Maybe it's to go back and actually figure out why Joseph Nipsid was lying to the FBI. And here's the good news. Here's the good news. That's exactly what Bill Barr is doing. And thank goodness for that. That's exactly what the Attorney General and John Durham are doing. They're going to find out why we went through this three-year three saga and get to the bottom of it. Time of the gentleman has expired. Gentleman from Louisiana, Mr. Richmond. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Mueller, uh, Congressman Dutch addressed Trump's request uh, to McGahn uh, to fire you. Representative Bass talked about the president's request of McGahn to deny uh, the fact that the president made that request. So I want to pick up where they left off, and I want to pick up with the president's uh, personal lawyer. In fact, uh, there was evidence that the president's personal lawyer was alarmed at the prospect of the president meeting with Mr. McGahn to discuss Mr. McGahn's refusal to deny the New York Times report about the president trying to fire you, correct? Correct. In fact, the president's counsel was so alarmed uh, by the prospect of the president's meeting with McGahn that he called Mr. McGahn's counsel and said that McGahn could not resign no matter what happened in the Oval Office that day, correct? Correct. So it's accurate to say that the president knew that he was asking McGahn to deny facts that McGahn, quote, had repeatedly said were accurate, unquote. Isn't that right? Correct. <clears throat> Your investigation also found, quote, by the time of the Oval Office meeting with the president, the president was aware, one, that McGahn did not think the story was false, Two, did not want to issue a statement or create a written record denying facts that McGahn believed to be true. The president nevertheless persisted and asked McGahn to repudiate facts that McGahn had repeatedly said were accurate. Isn't that correct? Generally true. I believe that's on page 119. Thank you. In other words, the president was trying to force McGahn to say something that McGahn did not believe to be true. That's accurate. I want to uh, reference you to a slide, and it's on page 120. And it says, substantial evidence indicates that in repeatedly urging McGahn to dispute that he was ordered to have the special counsel terminated, the president acted for the purpose of influencing McGahn's account in order to deflect or prevent further scrutiny of the president's conduct towards the investigation. Can you explain what you meant there? I'm just going to leave it in, uh, as it appears in the report. So it's fair to say the president tried to protect himself by asking staff to falsify records relevant to an ongoing investigation. I would say that's uh, generally a summary. Would you say that that action, the president tried to hamper the investigation by asking staff to falsify records relevant to your investigation. I'm just going to refer you to the report, if I could, for uh, uh, review of that, uh, that episode. Thank you. Also, the president's attempt to get McGahn to create a false written record were related to Mr. Trump's concerns about your obstruction of justice inquiry, correct? I believe that to be true. In fact, at that same Oval Office meeting, did the president also ask McGahn why he had told, quote, 
why he had told special counsel's office investigators that the president told him to have you removed, unquote. And what was the question, sir, if I might? Let me go to the next one. The president, quote, criticized McGahn for telling your office about the June 17, 2017 events when he told McGahn to have you removed, correct? Correct. In other words, <clears throat> the president was criticizing his White House counsel for telling law enforcement officials what he believed to be the truth. I, I again go back to the text of the, uh, of the report. Well, let me go a little bit further. Would it have been a crime if Mr. McGahn had lied to you about the president ordering him to fire you? I don't want to speculate. Okay. Is it true that you charged multiple people associated with the president for lying to you during your investigation? That is accurate. The president also complained that his staff were taking notes uh, during the meeting about uh, firing McGahn. Is that correct? Uh, that's what the report says. Yeah, the report. But in fact, it's completely appropriate for the president's staff, especially his counsels, to take notes during a meeting, correct? Well, I, I rely on the, the wording of the report. Well, thank you, Director Mueller, for your investigation into whether the president attempted to obstruct justice by ordering his White House counsel, Don McGahn, to lie to protect the president and then to create a false record about it. It is clear that any other person who engaged in such conduct would be charged with a crime. We will continue our investigation and we will hold the president accountable because no one is above the law. The uh, gentleman from Florida. Director Mueller, can you state with confidence that the Steele dossier was not part of Russia's disinformation campaign? No, as I said in, the, uh, in my opening statement, I, uh, that uh, part of the uh, building of the case was predated me and by at least 10 months. Yeah, I mean, Paul Manafort's alleged uh, crimes regarding tax evasion predated you. You had no problem charging them. And matter of fact, it, 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 this Steele dossier predated the attorney general, and he didn't have any problem answering the question. When Senator Cornyn asked the attorney general the exact question I asked you, director, the attorney general said, and I'm quoting, no, I can't state that with confidence. And that's one of the areas I'm reviewing. I'm concerned about it, and I don't think it's entirely speculative. Now, if something is not entirely speculative, then it must have some factual basis. But you identify no factual basis regarding the dossier or the possibility that it was part of the Russia disinformation campaign. Now, Christopher Steele's reporting is referenced in your report. Steele reported to the FBI that senior Russian foreign ministry figures, among with other, along with other Russians, told him that there was, and I'm quoting from the Steele dossier, extensive evidence of conspiracy between the Trump campaign team and the Kremlin. So here's my question. Did Russians really tell that to Christopher Steele, or did he just make it all up and was he lying to the FBI? Uh, let me back up a second, if I could, and say, as I uh, said earlier, uh, with regard to the Steele, uh, that uh, that's beyond my purview. No, it is exactly your purview, Director Mueller, and here's why. Only one of two things is possible, right? Either Steele made this whole thing up and there were never any Russians telling him of this vast criminal conspiracy that you didn't find, or Russians lied to Steele. 
Now, if Russians were lying to steal to undermine our confidence in our duly elected president, that would seem to be precisely your purview because you stated in your opening that the organizing principle was to fully and thoroughly investigate Russia's interference. But you weren't interested in whether or not Russians were interfering through Christopher Steele. And if Steele was lying, then you should have charged him with lying like you charged a variety of other people, but you say nothing about this in your report. Well, meanwhile, sir. Meanwhile, Director, you're quite loquacious on other topics. You write 3,500 words about the June 9 meeting between the Trump campaign and Russian lawyer Veselnitskaya. You write on page 103 of your report that the president's legal team suggested, and I'm quoting from your report, that the meeting might have been a setup by individuals working with the firm that produced the Steele reporting. So I'm going to ask you a very easy question, Director Mueller. On the week of June 9, who did Russian lawyer Veselnitskaya meet with more frequently? The Trump campaign or Glenn Simpson, who was functionally acting as an operative for the Democratic National Committee? Well, what I think is missing here is the fact that uh, this is under investigation other in, uh, elsewhere in the Justice I Department. Did not and if I can finish, sir, and if I can finish, sir, and consequently, it's not within my purview. Uh, Department of Justice and FBI should be responsive to questions on this particular but, but issue. It is absurd to suggest that a operative for the Democrats was meeting with this Russian lawyer the day before and the day after the Trump Tower meeting, and yet that's not something you reference. Now, Glenn Simpson testified under oath he had dinner with Veselnitskaya the day before and the day after this meeting with the Trump team. Do you have any basis as you sit here today to believe that Steele was lying? As I said before, I'll say again, it's not my purview. Others are investigating what you uh, so, so it's not your purview to look into whether or not Steele's lying. It's not your purview to look into whether or not anti-Trump Russians are lying to Steele. And it's not your purview to look at whether or not Glenn Simpson was meeting with the Russians the day before and the day after you write 3,500 words about the Trump campaign meeting. So I'm wondering what, how, the, how these decisions are guided. I look at the Inspector General's report. I'm citing from page 404 of the Inspector General's report. It states, Page stated, Trump's not ever going to be president, right? Right. Strzok replied, no, he's not. We'll stop it. Also in the Inspector General's report, there's someone identified as attorney number two. Attorney number two, this is page 419, replied, hell no, and then added, viva la resistance. Attorney number two in the Inspector General's report and Strzok both worked on your team, didn't they? Pardon me? Can you ask? They, they both worked on your team, didn't they? Uh, I know. I heard Strzok. Who else were you talking about? Attorney number two identified in the Inspector General's report. Okay. And the question was? Did he work for you? The guy who said viva la resistance. Peter, Peter Strzok worked for me for a period of time. Yes. Yeah, but so did the other guy that said viva la resistance. And here's what I'm kind of noticing, Director Mueller. When people associated with Trump lied, you threw the book at him. When Christopher Steele lied, nothing. And so it seems to be that when Glenn Simpson met with Russians, nothing. When the Trump campaign met with Russians, 3,500 words. And maybe the reason why there are this discrepancies in what you focused on is because the team time was the, so biased. Time of the gentleman has expired. Pledged to Mr. stop Trump. Jeffries of, of New York is recognized. To those who would tear the world down, we will this is our time. To those who seek peace and security, we support you. Yes, we can. And to all those who have wondered if America's beacon still burns as bright, tonight we prove once more that the true strength of our nation comes not from the might of our arms or the scale of our wealth, but from the enduring power of our ideals, democracy, liberty, opportunity, and unyielding hope. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbow. Very mean and 
nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently bloody. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. Do you believe that we're getting away with this? Ask not. Yes, we can. What your country can do for you. I have a dream. Ask what you can do for your country. Five little children. Yes, we can. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. It ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Welcome to Public Access America. Yes, we can. Now on Instagram and SoundCloud. You wanted to run out of that tunnel for my dad. On Twitter. Apple Podcasts, the Stitcher Smart Radio app, Potable, and more. Yes, we can. Public Access America. History in the making. Making history in the making. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. H-E-L-P. 